everybody. Welcome to Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, episode number 70, Power Trios. My name is Gabe Estel. I'm here with my co-hosts, Dennis Levi Leach and Jonathan Getz. Good evening, guys. Evening. All right. Well, in the worlds of rock and baseball, power comes in threes. The power lies not just in volume, but in the bond of three musicians who can't take a note off. The power also lies not just in home runs, but in the communication required to cover an entire outfield amongst the roaring crowd. While Yastrzemski, Reggie Smith, and Ken Hawk Harrelson mashed 73 home runs for the Red Sox in 1968, the band Cream topped the American charts with their record Wheels of Fire. Then in 1990, Dave Grohl joined Nirvana to form the most famous trio of a generation, all the while Conseco Henderson and the other Henderson that's Ricky and Dave, helped lead the Oakland A's to the World Series while crushing 85 home runs of their own. We'll cover these trios and many more tonight. Some of these trios you've heard of, others maybe not. Regardless, one thing is for sure, these trios often bring a power and a camaraderie that best exemplifies a whole being greater than the sum of its parts. So let's jump right in and get to that 1968 outfield where we talk about Ken the Hawk Harrelson who had absolutely a career year. And if you've seen how he dressed that year, he looked pretty good doing it. Too. <laughs> yeah, he always had style. I'll give him he that. Did. Yeah. That... Was, like, he he represented, like, the time of when there was a lot of, like, guys who were, like, crass and kind of brash and just, like, there were certain, like, there's not a ton of those kind of baseball players that flaunt like that anymore, hardly. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he uh, <clears throat> he came right out of, like, you know, London, like Piccadilly or something. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, oh, it, yeah. Was, it was a very, he was groovy. Let's put it that way. He was, he was oh, definitely yeah. um, basking in the uh, fashion changes that were going on, you know, <laughs> yeah. in, the, in, oh, yeah. in, uh, in the world at the time. Uh, so that was cool. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was certainly his best year. Um, he... Uh, you know, he's more well-known for being a broadcaster than he is a player, even though, you know, he, d- he did put up a couple a couple good years. He was well-known for not getting along with his organizations that he was belonging yeah, to right. at any given time. And blowing up a team when they're only in some... I mean, that's how he got on the Red Sox, was I'm pretty sure he, like, said something and got himself kicked off the other team. Right. Oh, right. really? <laughs> I don't know. He um, he started out in Kansas City, but with the Kansas City were the A's. Yeah. And yeah, then he went to sure the Senators. And then, yeah, those... Was... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, it was maybe the Senators that he got kicked off of. One of the teams. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he, he questioned the management, and it was like, oh, you know, you're canned, basically. And then he was going to retire. Yeah. And then the, uh, the Red Sox, like, gave him a pretty lucrative deal. I guess at the time. At the time, yeah. I mean, those those couple of years in Boston were um, were uh, you know were his his best years, obviously, or three years in Boston. It looks like, yeah. Or well, he got traded in his the middle of his third year. Um, short career for Hawk, you know. Like he was, he came in the league at twenty one, and he was he retired before he was thirty. And Straight three up. times he was traded mid-season, so what's that tell you? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Straight into broadcasting. Yeah. Like he took his mouth and went straight to broadcasting. Where he's been a divisive figure, nonetheless. Um, exactly. Uh, we, we've, we've talked about Hawk on this show before, and um, my, my perspective's a little bit diff- a little bit different just because, I, I don't know, he's like the... He's, he's like the uncle that nobody else loves, you know? Um, so I, I, I can, t- I have a higher Hawk tolerance than some people do, but I completely get why people can't stand him. <laughs> I, I totally, I'd, I'd hate him if, if I rooted for another team, you know, I just, he's, and I, I won't, you know, shed any tears when he retires, but I, it, it's, you know, I've, I've, uh, I've, I've grown up with the guy, so to speak. So yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. You had Dostrimsky that year, and then who was the other guy that year? Reggie Smith. Reggie Smith. Right. Okay. Reggie Smith. All yeah. right. Uh, and yeah, Dostrimsky was only like twenty in his mid twenties, um, mm-hmm. uh, twenty eight, and Smith was twenty three, and Harrelson was twenty six. 
Red Sox didn't finish that great that year. They only won 86 games that year, but... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, those, those dudes were raking. Yeah. Yeah, they were. And um, Reggie, Reggie Smith is is not in the Hall of Fame, right? I don't think so. No, no. No. <laughs> he had... He, he put up some, I mean, some great years, nonetheless, you know? Um, but yeah, not a guy that... Uh, it looks like... Well, let's see. 287 lifetime hitter. Um, yeah, 300 yeah. plus home runs. Yeah, plus yeah. RBI. So he was solid. Good on-base good on percent. Good career on-base percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let's see here. You know, take take say what you will about all-star game appearances, but one, two, three, four, six of them. That's, yeah. that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so so uh, good, good, good one there. Well, so tonight, as we're, we're going to talk about power triggers, we're going to talk about outfields. Um, talking about some of the other outfields that were mentioned in the introduction. Um, now we're going back quite a few years, really, really of, you know, I, I know you guys looked at some as well, and I did too. Kind of, you know, the most famous outfields, um, you know, or or I should say the ones that are are commonly regarded as quote-unquote, the best outfields. Really, only two of them have occurred within our lifetimes, you know? And that would be the 90 A's and then the 95 Indians. Um, That was like about a three-year period there. Um, And I remember when we were researching this episode, you know, we were kind of like, I was kind of thinking, okay, well, who have been the, what have been the best outfields of the last 20 years? And Levi brought up Cleveland. And I knew it was the first the, thing I thought of like, the mid '90s Cleveland, yeah. and I, you know, I, I knew I, I knew they were good, but I guess I just I hadn't looked at Albert Bell's numbers. If you're well, let's talk about hitting here for a minute. I haven't looked at Albert. I hadn't looked at Albert Bell's numbers in a long time, and my God, he was on a tear for a few years. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Um, but their defense too was pretty good. I mean, obviously you've got Kenny Lofton in center field, and yeah. You know, Manny maybe not the greatest defender. I I I don't have to pull up their uh, their. Well, and that's the key, man. Lofton was so speedy in the middle. He, yeah. You know what I mean? He's making plays that some those two didn't have to make. Oh yeah, yeah. He made yeah, those, those, for other, a lot. those other two are big. Those <laughs> other two are big guys. You know, and, well, at uh, that time Manny wasn't terribly large. Like like he got you know bulky. You know when he yeah, got yeah, with the yeah. Red Sox. Yeah, he was still a little smaller. He's a little slender. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the offensively, Jesus. I mean, oh. and Lofton was a you know a hit machine then as well. I mean, he was, uh, you know, if and if he got on base, you know, I mean, he's he's gonna steal. So uh, so yeah. yeah, if if you're in a if you're above nine hundred in OPS, which is offensive plus slugging percentage, you're you're pretty uh, you're, you're raking for that year. And Albert Bell yeah. had a one point oh nine. Manny had point nine six zero. And Kenny even had an 815, which is pretty good for a dude like that. Like that yeah. size. Yeah, like a yeah, little right. speedy center filter. Because he doesn't have a lot of slugging, so you know he's getting on base quite a bit. Um, yeah. Uh, and, but yeah, 54 stolen bases for Kenny that year. 94, he had 60 stolen bases. Yeah, wow. they, uh, they, they, they were great, man. They kind of flew under the radar. I don't think. I think if you asked a lot of baseball fans, like, what was the best outfield of the '90s? I'm not sure if a lot of them would point straight. If to they won a ring, I bet people would remember them. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, quicker. they got to the World. They went to the World Series twice, right? '95 and '97, I think. That sounds right. I know American in '95. I know in '95 they did. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, American League I, champs I, in '95 and in '97. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So two two World Series appearances. So definitely very strong Cleveland teams then. Um, um, by '97, by though, it was uh, Brian Giles and Marquise Grissom back there with Manny Ramirez. So oh, they had some okay. turnover. Oh, okay. Yeah. So '97 was okay. Lofton was gone then. Uh, yeah. I don't think he's. Yeah. No, Lofton wasn't on the roster. Ah, yeah. he, he Kenny modeled quite a few uniforms. He uh, yeah, he, yeah. he got around. I like might to have gone I... to the Yankees after that, if I'm recalling. I can't remember. I know he played for the Yankees. Yeah. Um, he actually he went to uh, Atlanta in '97, and then back to Cleveland in '98 through 2001. Oh, 
If you don't mind, since you have it up, can you list every team that Kenny Lofton's played? Definitely. <laughs> started his career. He what, didn't break into the majors until 20, he was 24 with the Astros. Astros? And then okay. Cleveland uh, through 96 and Atlanta. Then Cleveland again through 2001. And then uh, in 2002, played for the White Sox and the Giants. Right. In 2003, played for the Pirates, the Cubs. And then, the, and then it went the Yankees. The Phillies, the Dodgers, the Rangers, and back to the Indians. <laughs> wow. I think if I counted as fast as you were talking, that was 13. One, two, three, four, like, five, I six, mean, seven, uh, nine. Multiple, I think multiple 12, teams. maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 12 teams. You know, ba- baseball reference has all of the uh, the numbers across the top. I guess uh, not 12. With, yeah. with, with, what, two stints in Cleveland and two in Atlanta? Uh, two in Atlanta? I think just the one in Atlanta. Just one, okay. Yeah, yeah. two. Just, the, the, when he was on the Cubs, I do remember that. It was very I, brief. With the White Sox, yeah, I, I remember him. Um, uh, you know, we 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 traded him midseason. Um, so, yeah, he he, uh, yeah, twenty four entering the league. Okay, huh? I didn't know. I didn't know he was that old. Uh, I remember. I remember getting his rookie card. The the score. I think. Yeah, he was a fun player to watch. Um, I've I've also read about him, like immaculately immaculately like tidy and clean like he in oh, interviews really? people always remember, he's got like he's like just has like the cleanest house in the world i guess he's like just <laughs> i it, it, he i guess he's just like a total neat freak i guess so huh. yeah so if you go over to kenny's anybody take your shoes off before you walk <laughs> yeah. All right. hey levi uh, uh, kenny came over to the cubs in the aramis ramirez deal oh uh from, with, in the pirate with the pirates pirates yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was in that deal. Well, a throw-in, huh? Yeah. Often played for the Pirates too, huh? Yeah. I don't remember that at all. <laughs> you know, I, I I would imagine in his immaculately clean home, with that many jerseys, you could make a really nice sports bar basement. You know what I mean? You'd have you'd have all your jerseys kind of like franchise man. Frame. <laughs> Framed, you know, all around. Yeah. That looked that looked nice. You could franchise you know? that thing. Yeah, <laughs> him and uh, him and him and uh, uh, Phil Necro could make <laughs> that. Could, <laughs> those two could could have some really nice sports bar basements. You know, a lot of frames to keep clean. A lot of frames to clean. Oh, yeah. clean. I'll, yeah. I'll go down to Kenny's. Springfield's own Jeff Facero had a, quite a few as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. Uh, we, we, you know, guys, we need to compile. Um, a team, a, a roster, I should say. We could at least get a starting nine of, like, you know, the criteria would be you had to have played for more than six teams. You yeah. know what I mean? Something yeah. like that. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how that list shook out. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the, the, the jam-packed closet roster. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, Levi, good good, good call on Cleveland. I, uh, I I wasn't going to mention them, you know, and then I look at it, it's like, it's kind of a no brainer what the best outfield in the nineties was. <laughs> yeah. And, and really the fact that they didn't uh, win a championship shouldn't matter because when I was researching a lot of these, most of these outfield teams yeah. didn't uh, trios didn't win championships. Right. Right. You know, I, I, and uh, 1990 um, that Oakland team lost because they won the year before. Yeah. Uh, I mean, three consecutive World Series appearances for the A's, 88, 89, 90, but only one title in 89. And then they got, they, uh, I think the Reds swept them in 90. Damn you, Jose Rio. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a fun outfield. You know, that was, um, you know, 1990, I think all three of us were probably, you know, following, we still do, but, you know, really into baseball cards at that time a lot. And uh, that was that was like that was the cream of the crop. You know what I mean? Like I as a fan of another team, I was envious of that outfield. You know, I was like, wow, man. Yeah. So Dave Henderson in center, Ricky in left and Canseco in right. Let me let me open it here. I Dave would have been kind of he would have been a veteran player. at that. I mean, he would have been pretty old. He was 31 along. Ricky and Dave were okay, both no, 31. Okay, younger than I thought. They were both 31. Mm-hmm. OK, that's younger than I thought. All right. In 1990, that is. 1990. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Dave uh, uh, Ricky's line was 28, only 61 RBI, but 65 stolen bases, a one a 1.016 OPS. Dave wow. Henderson uh, hit 20 and knocked in 63, 
but then Canseco, yeah, 37, 101, and a 914 OPS. Wow. Yeah, because uh, Henderson, Ricky got the MVP, right? Oh, did he that year? That year? He did, yeah, he did. Rightfully so, too, looking at these numbers. Um, you know, I uh, Canseco only 25, which um, I, I thought he would have been older than that by then, but uh, kind of even more impressive, that 40-40 season, he was only 23 when that happened, you know? And he would have come into Crazy. the league at, like, 21. Yeah. So, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, those those uh, those A's teams were, were really, really tough. Um, and now, these older teams, uh, when I say, you know, older, we're talking, you know, basically pre, pre-Boston Red Sox from 68, even. Uh, I look at this San Francisco Giants team from 63. Yeah. And that certainly wins in terms of name recognition, probably. Um, got Willie McCovey, Willie Mays, and Felipe Alou, which I, I, is this the one that I think most people probably regard as the best, right? Oh, I think there's a debate, but I think a lot of people do still. Yeah, I would say a lot of people pretty... like my father's generation would probably point to the... To the yeah. Either this or we'll talk in a minute a little bit about the 61 Yankees, maybe. It, it would be hard to, to argue with any out to argue for any outfield. That, I mean, you know, you got McCovey and Mays in your outfield. Um, yeah, yeah, nuts. Um, and then the '61 Yankees. Actually, that's probably the biggest. Hit. Well, you've got Mantle, Maris, and then Yogi Berra. Now, I have to admit, um, I, uh, I I did not know that Yogi Berra played much outfield. I guess he did that year. Yeah, so I'm looking at his stats right now and. And in, you know, obviously he was mostly a catcher. And then in about 1960, when he turned 35, he started getting in the outfield more. And then in 61, he actually only caught 15 games and then played uh, um, uh, a, the majority of his games in the outfield. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, and obviously 61 being the big year for the Mantle Maris race to 61 home runs. Right. Uh, and that's when, yeah, Mantle hit 61 and uh, Maris hit a measly, what, like 50-some? <laughs> um, uh, Maris hit 54. <laughs> yeah, so Barra's line was 22. No, you're talking, no you, mean, you mean Maris hit 61, Mantle hit 54. Sorry, yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Barra hit 22 and knocked in 61. Mantle hit 54 and 128. Maris hit 61 and for 141. Uh, but Mantle yeah. had the higher OPS uh, at 1.135. You know, the unsung hero of that team might have been uh, Elston Howard, the catcher, hitting 348 that year. That was a luxury that they could plug him in, and then their catcher and move Barra out to the outfield. Then. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Now, 1961, did they? The Yankees didn't win it that year. They right? did. They did. They did. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, All they right. won 109 games that year, so they were they were raking. <laughs> Pretty good team, yeah. And I, I, if anybody who's like some, you know, baseball, you know, historian hears that and that I didn't know the Yankees won the '61 World Series, I'm sorry. Well, I grudgingly right, memorized the years the Yankees won the World Series. Yeah, sorry, they they won quite a few. I'm sorry. And, and if right? anyone you know wants to debate the 1894 Philadelphia Athletics as being one of the top yeah. teams, yeah, it's. It, I have to admit, you know, I uh, as as much as I value and I uh, I should say I value, I respect the elders of baseball it's kind of like with me like in a black and white movie you know what i mean like i just sometimes i tune out you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, i shouldn't yeah. say that but i do you know i'm like oh that baseball in the 1950s uh you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't always interest me you know it's what i what i should give it a fair shake because you know? <laughs> it's like you know what many people regard as you know the best period of the game so. the golden age yeah anyway but uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uh, 1894 Philadelphia Athletics, who I, I learned about on some message boards uh, yeah. that were discussing <laughs> outfields. And, and okay, so I didn't know anything about these dudes. So I, I learned this. Sam Thompson, Ed Delahanty, Billy Hamilton, not not Sam, but just as fast. Right. And, <laughs> yes. and they, had a, they had a fourth one named Tuck Turner. Great, so, uh, which is an outstanding baseball name. Anyway. Yeah, fantastic. So all the, the three main guys... 
Um, all three were in the top seven in the NL war for position players. All three in the top eight for NL on base percentage. All three in the top six for NL OPS. All four, all four guys batted over 400 that year. And wow. it was it was debated that Tuck Turner, the reserve guy, had the best season out of all of them. Uh, and he didn't even get to start every game. And the Philadelphia Athletics finished fourth. so those dudes were raking and i think those three guys are in the hall of fame i don't think tuck turner is but um uh 1894 philadelphia athletics look out man a name like tuck turner they should just let him in (laughs) yeah no kidding huh uh-huh. Yeah, whoever would have uh, looked good on a cigar card back in the mm-hmm, day. Mm-hmm. T. Turner. So, yeah. romantically speaking, who are your guys' favorite outfields? Even if it, even if the yeah. numbers don't add up. Yeah. You know, Levi, go ahead. I, uh, ah, I dude, I mean, I don't remember who was with Dawson and Walton on. It might have been Dwight Dwight Smith. What year? But I remember that just from like '89. From '89. Him and Jerome Walt. Right? Yeah, it was Dawson, Jerome Walton, and I want to say Dwight Smith. But I it was Dwight that. Smith, yeah. Yeah. That's a fun crew because, you know, you got, like, the, the veteran and then the two young guys, you know, two rookies. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Good well, deal. Dwight was 25, Walton was 23. Okay. Yeah. Um, good, uh... Good, good, good. That was yeah. That was a good crew. Good yeah, group. Yeah, definitely. My uh, mine was not so coincidentally around the same time. Nineteen ninety Red Sox with Ellis Burks, Mike Greenwell, and Tom Bernanski. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, Bernanski was only spent a couple years with the Red Sox, but he uh, he had a uh, he had the pennant clinching catch that I I always remember. So that's like one of my earliest baseball memories. Uh, and I've always yeah. been a big fan of, of Mike Greenwell and Ellis Burks. Uh, I had so many 1987 tops of both of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everybody, had, everybody had double Greenwells, man. Oh, everybody. Jesus. I had a, I had a page Greenwells. <laughs> yeah. I think I had tops. A, like 88 or 89s, I had a ton of Mike Greenwell tops, 88 or 89s. It, it, it was a ubiquitous card. It really was. Um, well, for me, you know, I... Um, even even though I they weren't my team, you know that that Oakland outfield that you mentioned is one of my favorite outfields. I just want to say that because um, yeah. I, like I said, you know, the, the, I was envious of them. You know, the White Sox up until 1990 when Ventura and Thomas came around. You know, the White Sox like weren't very good right when I started getting into baseball, um, which would have been after the 1983 season and you know before the 1990 season so like you know i started following baseball really closely as a kid like around 85 86 and uh probably about 86 and uh so i was i was envious of that oakland team but that said fast forward uh 20 years um you know the 2005 white Sox, uh obviously a sentimental choice there certainly have been better outfields um but that outfield uh was um in right field you had jermaine die uh, in center, you had Aaron Rowand, and then in left field, you had Scott Podsednik. So it was, um, it, I, I was looking at the numbers, and the, uh, you know, the, the numbers are a little skewed because, or the average would be skewed, um, because you had stellar defense with Rowand. His UZR is 17.4. Um, and then you've got die with negative 4.6. Ouch. So it's like, uh, and, and for those not familiar and I'm only very yeah, familiar, yeah, a, yeah. a UZR rating of 15 or greater is considered gold glove worthy. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Aaron Rowan, uh, awesome defender. And, uh, you know, he's die was a negative what? Uh, negative 4.6. Wow. <laughs> He had a strong arm, though. Um, they they can they can they factor that in to the. He just user. he couldn't cover much ground. You know, he was a big bigger guy. Um, he he did have a strong arm, but uh, it you know that didn't translate well, at least statistically. <laughs> if they hit it um, over your head, it doesn't matter how. Hard now you now that said, uh, Jermaine Die was a was uh, a pr- a pretty good hitter. Actually, a, c- a couple of years there where he. 
you know, like uh, a couple of years there, like sure. MVP type numbers. But, uh, granted, I mean, not through his whole throughout his whole career, and um, unfortunately, he you know his he ne- he never got signed uh, after '09 and just kind of sort of left the game kind of quietly. Um, but he was 31 in 05, uh, first year with the White Sox after coming over from Oakland and then starting out with uh, the Royals. Yeah. Uh, and or actually, and then before the Royals, he was on the Braves for a little while too. Uh, oh, that's where he started. Yeah, he was on the Braves uh, World Series team, I think. Um, and then Rowan at 27, so in his prime, um, and then Podsednik at 29. Uh, so it was, you know, it was uh, it die obviously a defensive liability, um, but he had the power hitting. Um, and actually, look at die's numbers from the next year, 06. This the outfield would have changed. We didn't have Rowan. We had Brian Anderson. Um, yeah, exactly. You're your big prospect. Uh, I remember you being high on Brian Anderson, man. I, I was, I was, because I mean, he was he he was raking in the minors yeah. and. Um, you know, we traded Rowan for Tommy, and you know they just kind of they anointed him the center fielder of the future. You know, without you know with without really giving him any very many at bats. Uh, he was on the 05 roster, but you know he didn't play that much. Um, it was just kind of a bad experiment. But everybody, everybody was still drunk off the World Series that like nobody cared. Yeah. Um, but anyway, but you know, I, I still would take this outfield any day. Uh, minus, you know, uh, even even given Dye's liability because he can make up for or his defense because he can make up for it at the plate. And then you had Rowan, you know, stellar defense. And then Podsednik, you know, great speed, um, you know, for, you know, for a while there, Podsednik was, you know, uh, he, he stole as many as 70 one year in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, and when he's with the White Sox, you know, he was, you know, he was usually you were almost guaranteed over 40. So, uh, so yeah, you know, a great defense with Rowan, great speed with Podsednik, and you know, a a, a really good power hitter in in Die. So I'll take that outfield. Uh, so it, it like I, I I when I crunched the numbers, like just did the average UZR. It's not even really worth looking at just because it, you know that's the 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 you know the the gap between right. between Die and Rowan. Is uh, is so high that um, it's, you know it's, it's not real. I'll, I'll tell you one where it is good to do it average, and that's the 2014 Kansas City Royals. I was going to mention them. Uh, yeah, as uh, well. That's a pretty damn good outfield. And actually, specifically, it was their outfield for like the seventh inning or later. So usually for the Royals in 14 and 15, the seventh inning, they would bring in Dyson, uh, draw Dyson in to uh, replace uh, Nori Aoki or Alex yeah. Rios, depending on the year. And when they had that trio of Lorenzo Cain, Alex Gordon, and Gerard Dyson, uh, that was they were just like a black hole out there. And so sure enough, I looked up the, the user rankings for 2014, and those three guys had the one, two, and four spots. So Gordon ranked a 25. I mentioned at plus 15 Jesus. or more is gold glove worthy. Gordon was a 25, Dyson was an 18, and Cain was a 17.6. Damn. And uh, yeah, ranked one, two, and four respectively. That's like a that's like a, a Fangraphs wet dream that outfields. <laughs> it is <laughs> Sabermetrician's wet dream. Yeah, um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's a really really good outfield. Um, uh, you still got two of those guys there, or you, wait, you still have Dyson too, right? Yeah, they're all there. Yeah, yeah, maybe not for okay. long, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, Gordon Stellar, man. He's uh, yeah. he's he's one of the best in the league. A couple others, guys, that um, of fairly recent years that were pretty good. Uh, actually, Levi, the 2012 Braves, Jason Hayward uh, was on the Braves then, and then they had Martin Prado and Michael Bourne. Really, really good numbers if you look at, at theirs. Not not quite 2014 Royals outfield, but but one of the better ones in recent years. And then also. Um, Interestingly enough, the 2001 Cardinals, Pujols played more outfield than first base that year because they still had McGuire. Oh. So Pujols was playing outfield. I can't even picture him playing outfield. I know. It's weird. But it was their numbers were really good. Um, uh, uh, Pujols. Um, Edmonds? Edmonds and J.D. Drew. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Edmonds, great center fielder. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, one of the best of his era, definitely. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, interesting there. Yeah, I, uh, I, I prior to reading, uh, you know, going on um, online and looking at the numbers, I, I'd totally forgotten that Pujols started out as an outfielder. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. We said something nice about the Cardinals. There, yeah. <laughs> and the Yankees. And the Yankees, right. Jeez. Well, we have to mention the 1915 Detroit tigers right Right. yeah yeah, or people are gonna like sue us you know what i mean well that's the ty cobb team statistically Uh, the best yeah statistically yeah you got ty cobb uh what is it uh beach right uh bobby beach yeah and then uh there's one other guy who sam crawford sam crawford yeah. yeah yeah statistically speaking that's uh in terms of hit that's probably the best maybe the best hitting outfield of of all time at least for one year I maybe I mean maybe you could make an argument like with Mantle and Maris, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, across so the board, each was ranked one, two, and three in total bases and RBIs. Huh? That's crazy. That's pretty impressive. Granted, you know fewer teams then. Yeah. Fewer players, oh, yeah. but still dead, dead ball era. Yeah. They combined for ten home runs. <laughs> yeah, right. But dead right. dead ball era. <laughs> yep. Yep. Traveling in the lap of luxury in the. Silver Steamliner locomotives. Right. <laughs> Twirling their handlebar mustaches. Um, yes. bare, bare knuckle boxing after every game. Right. Yes. <laughs> it sounds like we made them all into like Coney Island characters or something. Yeah. Like, sure. <laughs> like, if you want to. You talk about baseball, like after 1940, maybe, and that every player to me is that, like, that's the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned baseball player pre 1940. I, I think it's like the Coney Island strongman, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like in the off season, he runs the game where they smash the hammer. Right, right. His name's like his name's like Mickey Calloway or something, or <laughs> Jack O'Hannon or something like uh-huh. that. Anyway, uh, so let's move on to music, guys. Uh, good, good conversation there about outfields. You know what? One last thing though, um, I, I, I didn't dig deep into fan graphs enough because I, they could already do it, or somebody out there you could just copy the numbers and put yeah. them into Excel and you know just figure it out that way. I would like to see. I'm kind of curious um, the 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 user ratings um, for all of the current outfields you oh, know sure. what i mean like i i, I i'm sure it's out there and i i didn't you know those of you who know fan graphs better than me um you know it's, it's probably there and maybe i just didn't know how to sort it but um that'd be easy to do i mean all you have to do is put the numbers in a spreadsheet and you know just yeah. figure out the averages but uh maybe i'd be we'll curious figure to figure that out in time for yeah. uh, spring training yeah okay. i'd like to see that I'd, I'd just be curious you know like over the last few years like who have been like maybe take like a three-year sample size, like who would be you know the best starting yeah, out yeah, field. Yeah. I'd, be, yeah. I'd just be curious to see how it all shook out because sometimes um, guys that I think might be awesome because I saw them you know anecdotally I saw them make a couple awesome catches. You look at <laughs> yeah. the numbers, you know what I mean? They're not yeah. oh, they're, yeah. the numbers yeah, don't yeah. Really reinforce oh, yeah. the fact that they're great outfielders. So oh, yeah, you could go to a game and see a guy and. That day, for some reason, maybe he has a cannon arm. So then you're like, man, that guy, man, his arm, you know? Yeah. But then, like, the rest of the season, he's awful. You look at the numbers, yeah, and he's, like, negative 3.5 or something. You're like, all right, okay. That was just his lucky day, I guess. Um, and then and then I, I, I see somebody like, God, Alex Gordon's pretty much the perfect outfielder or yeah. was for a year, you know? Yeah. And I knew, Al, I knew Alex Gordon was good. I didn't know, like... Yeah, I didn't. I hadn't quantified it, um, so that he's he's really good. Yeah, getting he's those solid. gold gloves for a reason. He is. He is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, power so, yeah, yeah, power trios. So, um, talking about you know, coming in threes here. Let's uh, let's talk about power trios. Um, we're going to share some of our favorites. Um, you know, I think I think there are some bands obviously that that, that come to mind right away, but we're going to talk about some that maybe are a little bit lesser known. Um, but yeah, you know, the power trio is, uh, uh, you know, a few guys got to do a lot of work. Um, so, so yeah, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, and talk about yeah. those now. Um, three is uh, a magic number. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and 
you know, with these, um, you know, you know, probably the most influential power trio of all time goes without saying. It's probably Cream. Um, yeah, I'd know, give but, it to them probably. Yeah, yeah fathers. Yeah, I think so. Um, For a you know, split moment, I thought you were going to say Grand Funk Railroad. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, I got nothing against. You're like Mark Don Mel. Mark. Yeah. And no, nothing against those guys. No, but yeah, but, well, cream, yeah, I would say if you polled people and they knew what a power trio was, they would tell you cream. You know what, guys? I'll take it back even a little further than cream. I think the original power trio is Buddy Holly and the Crickets. Ooh, wow! Yeah, yeah, technically, you might be right on that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like if if you play a guitar in a rock band, Buddy Holly. At least indirectly has influenced you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll even go further. I think I think I think yeah, that's that's probably the the first the first uh, rock power trio. Yeah, and so when and when we talk about trios, you know, we're, we're saying obviously a a, a a guitarist, a bassist, and a drummer, and usually yeah. usually not all the time, it's the guitarist who's singing. And then when bands expanded into four, they added a guitarist. Um, or maybe a second, third guitarist, or maybe a keyboardist, and and it really speaks a lot to, like you're saying, Gabe, the the roots that Buddy Holly um, uh, exhibited there, and and how to break it down to his purest elements. Yeah, absolutely. So I I, you know, I, I guess they're probably the most influential, but uh, you know, of a lot of the bands that we listen to, I think would probably probably the, or the bands that we admire as well from previous generations would probably cite cream you know as one of their biggest influences um especially among uh, among trios um and you know we can't have this episode without mentioning rush um who i think you know you could i think you could rush is a great band they're not i mean all these bands are are great bands they're not just great power trios but I think if to a lot of rock fans, you mentioned trio, people think of Rush right yeah, away. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah, and and that's great because I mean Rush is awesome. You know, I um, I, I they're probably I I don't like to throw around the term the best because it's purely subjective in this sense, but looking at a few factors, I think it's safe to say you you well, not safe to say. You could, one could crown Rush as the cream of the crop when it comes to no pun intended. <laughs> um, when it comes to power trios, just due to you know the complexity of their music, um, how the long long longevity, yeah, yeah absolutely, you know, and success. I mean, they're one of the biggest touring bands around still, right now. Yeah, still. I mean, they're, they're as a touring act, not as a studio act, because nobody sells albums anymore. But as a touring act, they're bigger now than they were in the '70s and '80s. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're selling out arenas all over the world. Um, so, you know, combine those three things, and uh, I, you know, I, I know some people, you know, they they can be divisive. Some people just don't like Getty's voice, or they just think the music's too geeky. Um, they're one of the best bands. Fuck it, I'll put it down. They're one of the best bands of all time. I'll throw the gauntlet down. Rush, Rush, Rush deserves to be mentioned with the gods, and I think they're mentioned with the greats, but I don't know if they're always mentioned with the gods. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. they should be. They're the complete package. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. The. Uh, do we want to do our like? What? What? You? What's your favorite Rush record? Yeah, sure. Go for it, man. Yeah, go ahead. Start. If I'm going to pull an album to listen to the whole Rush record, it would be 2112. Oh, yeah. And um, I just love that whole, the whole work. But sometimes I just have time to hear one Rush song. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I, I dude, I always, I always pull the self-titled and I always crank working, man, as loud oh, as my yeah. headphones can go. Yeah. Got the old drummer on that one. Yeah, it does. On the studio, yeah. 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 Okay. The, the guys, yeah. everybody forgets his name. Um, right, yeah, yeah. Poor guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like that first record a lot. That's uh, that's their most Zeppelin-esque record. Um, you know, that one and... Well, actually, the first... A, a, Fly By Night is after the self-titled, right? Like, right after... is It like it goes like, I think, self-titled, Fly By Night, and then Caris of Steel, right? Caris of Steel. So, yeah, so those three are, like, very Zeppelin-sounding albums, to me, at least. Yeah. And then when 2112 came around um, after Fly By Night, that's, I think that's kind of when, you know, Rush really found their identity, so to speak. Um, yeah, so good, good choice, Levi. Uh, 2112 is probably my favorite, too. Um, I've been trying to listen to a little bit more of Rush's catalog in the run up to this episode. And, um, you know, not saying, like, I memorized Presto or anything like that, but um, <laughs> Getz, I expect you to make a strong case for power windows. <laughs> All right. Anyway, but um, God, we're sounding like geeks right now. Jesus. <laughs> um, Speak but, for yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I, uh, I really like Signals a lot um, from 82. Uh, it's I know that it's slick. But it's a really good batch of songs. You know, it has three hit singles. on It's Rush tightening their sound. Um, and, you know, that could be just a product of, you know, being a big band in the 80s. And that's kind of what you did. Um, but they, at the same time, you know, they didn't they didn't sacrifice, um, you know, the, the, the complexity that, that, you know, that made them, you know, popular with a lot of music fans in the first place. You know, that, that album, Signals, has three hit singles, uh, Subdivisions, um, and then uh, New World Man, and then, uh, what, God, what God, I forgot to write, uh, Analog Kid, I guess would be the other one, probably, uh, which is which is a great song. Um, so it's kind of a little bit synthier rush, which they started to, to dabble in in moving pictures, and then, you know, um, that, that really kind of, set the tone for the next few albums but um i really i really really like this record a lot i think i think it's their best collection of i don't think it's their best album start to finish but i think it's their best collection of individual songs all right signals um i'm gonna go uh pretty off the off the beaten path and and say uh that this uh that this cover uh album that they did uh called feedback (laughs) Oh yeah, summertime uh, blues is on there, right? Yeah, yeah. So they uh, they released this record. Um, it also helps I got this free. So I, all right, so I'm like a casual <laughs> Rush listener, and uh, this is something I got free uh, when I was working at a guitar store. And so uh, things that are free always taste and sound better. Um, but yeah, they do uh, summertime blues uh, for what it's worth. The Seeker, Mr. Soul, Shapes of Things, Crossroads, yeah. and it helped me that realize. Yeah, the Seeker is amazing, and this. It helped me realize how, you know, obviously these guys have a pretty unique sound, but then when you hear them execute some of this, you realize, oh, I mean, I mean, everybody comes from somewhere, and they yeah. come from these songs, and when you hear them play The Seeker, and then you go listen to, uh, you know, even parts of 2112, uh, you can hear The Who in there. You can hear mm-hmm. Townsend's, you know... Uh, uh, guitar flourishes uh, uh, influence on Alex Lifeson, and so that really helped me realize that uh, yeah, everybody comes from somewhere, and Rush, you know, ultimately came from '60s pop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's that, that's a, that's a cool. Uh, I, I usually kind of am a little skeptical of of covers albums sometimes, or just think they're kind of unnecessary. But that's that's a that's a that's a good batch there. Yeah, it's I, fun. I've, I've heard I've heard that one a few times. It is a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's let's dig a little bit deeper here, guys. We've obviously we talked about Buddy Holly and the Crickets and Rush and Cream, the power trios that uh, are usually the first to come to mind. Obviously, our 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 uh, our, our bearded friends, along with Frank Beard and ZZ Top as well. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and there's there's uh, and obviously Nirvana too. Um, but let's let's dig a little bit deeper. Are there any that uh, power trios that other folks might not? Um, no, or maybe they've overlooked. Um, Levi, what about you? Any, any, any that come to mind that we haven't mentioned? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I'm gonna start off with probably 
Taste with Rory Gallagher, oh, which yeah. is excellent. Rory Gallagher is probably my... Lately, he's been my most favorite guitar player. Like, yeah. over the last six or seven months, I can't get enough of him. And, um... Levi's on the Irish tour. Yeah, for sure, <laughs> dude. That album, that album is so good. Oh, yes. Irish Tour 74, everybody out there, you should pick it up. Um, Robin Trower. I, I'm into that bigger 70s power trio sound. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, the obviously uh, Beck Boger Apathy, which you we were talking about in the, the, the work-up to this episode. And um, really that's, a, good that's a super underrated record. Really, really good record. Yeah, yeah. The, the song Lady on there just rocks, man. Yeah. I, I can't get enough of that. Um, you know, uh, there was a kind of a quirky one that not a ton of people maybe have heard of is West Bruce and Lang, which was Leslie West and Corky Lang from mm-hmm. Mountain yep. teamed up with yep. Jack Bruce. Yeah, that's that's from the seventies, right? Like like yeah, early seventies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, and then we always, you know, I already mentioned Grand Funk Railroad. I had to show them some love. Yeah. They went to a four-piece after... They a, did, uh... Right? Yeah. After the th- third or fourth record, I think it okay. was, maybe? I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was just Mark, Don, and Mel for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good choices, man. Um, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I got a shout-out to the James Gang, too, I guess. The, yeah. The Joe oh, Walsh. Yeah. Uh, I could listen to the Bomber, like, over and over. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of the ones that uh, I, I, you know, they're not going to get mentioned along the the gods that we that we, we we mentioned earlier, or even even some of the bands that Levi just mentioned from the seventies. Um, you know, they're not going to be mentioned in the same breath, and I'm not saying they deserve to be mentioned with along those sides those names, but I think they deserve more attention. Um, and I'm really basing this off a of one, I think, really perfect power pop record. And that's The Outfield, um, which is a fitting uh, for this episode as well. <laughs> fitting. So fitting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Too, it's very apropos. Um, the, the Outfield, uh, I, I, about 15 years ago or so, I picked up a copy of Play Deep, Um uh, used like in a CD store. I was still living in Macomb at the time, okay. and uh, I, you know, I, I I found it for like three or four bucks. And I, I I'd always loved the '80s um, painting on that uh, yeah. that album, you know. Um, and uh, I was like, yeah, you know, let's let's, you know, I I, I was kind of like, oh, your love, you know, like you know, your love is is thought of as like you know a quintessential '80s rock song, you know. It's like yeah. it gets mentioned alongside like things like. You know, Banana Rama and Rock Me Amadeus, and you know, and 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 with all due respect to those those songs, which are a lot of fun, I I, I think the outfield um, play deep deserves to be considered a great record, not just a great '80s record. Do you know what I mean? Um, and if if you go and listen to those tunes, uh, they're just really really well crafted uh, pop songs. Um, and and your love is is obviously the big single on that record, but I, I don't think it's the strongest track. Um, I think um, uh, I don't need her and uh, sixty one seconds is another one of my favorites. It's just it's really well executed music, and um, it sounds like it sounds like it came out a little bit earlier than eighty five. You know, it sounds like it, it could be an album that came out in like eighty two, eighty three, and, and you know maybe I'm just um, Maybe I'm getting into too much minutia of the decade there, but uh, it, it 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 it's it sounds earlier um, than the night late 1985. It came out in November of 85, um, so I think that's that's I think that's a really really underrated record. Um, it's more than just you know that catchy 80s song that everybody knows. Um, it it deserves a, a second listen if you haven't given it a chance or yeah, haven't given for it a sure. I, it's a that's a really good uh, really good record and yeah, to, kind of along those same lines, same era, Crowded House. Oh yeah, that, that first yeah. Crowded House record is excellent. Oh yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. It, it really is. Um, Neil Finn, uh, Paul Hester, and Nick Seymour. Yeah, yeah. Both those bands, Outfield and Crowded House, great harmonies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, Crowded House is, you know, for lack of a better term, it's a little bit of a denser work. You know, it's, yeah. um, you know, yeah. Outfield's a little more fun, a little more... Yeah. date night if you will yeah. um but uh but but they're both great um and uh yeah i i guys play deep give it a, give it a spin i did i did the other day yeah 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 so yeah this this week i uh, i was spinning spinning tons of trios uh, yeah. I, I discovered two um from ames iowa which i i went to school in ames and i'm really bummed that i was sandwiched in between when these bands were active uh, and um, I gotta interject for a second. We saw Russia Ames Iowa. We did see Russia Ames yes. Iowa. So Ames so Iowa. This, this episode was born years ago. It, it was, was essentially this yes. Was, this when, one was meant to happen, guys. Yeah, when, when Gabe <laughs> made the trek over to Ames and uh, and and we went and saw Rush at uh, at the uh, um, Hilton Coliseum. Hilton Coliseum. Thank you. We yeah. we call a little bit of Hilton magic that night. I think. <laughs> But, uh, so yeah, I had no idea. Um, first of all, there's this recent band from the 2000s uh, called Radio Moscow. Uh, great trio. They were signed by Dan Auerbach. Uh, uh, and I highly recommend checking them out. Uh, and then also... Really, really uh, good stuff. Yeah. The, uh, well, yeah I'm I trying to think, what, what was the name of the one record? Spirit of... Uh, or uh, the Dang it. It's got a mushroom on the cover. Yeah, Magical the Dirt is the, Magical the one with dirt. the... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Magical that, Dirt that, and Brain I, Cycles are two of my favorites. Yeah, those uh, the Magical Dirt rocks. I I told my buddy Dan, who's a Harley mechanic, I, I forwarded that to him. I was like, dude, you should probably work on motorcycles to this. And I, <laughs> I sent him the link to that record. <laughs> nice. Right on. <laughs> well, and then uh, you mentioned uh, Leslie West earlier. Um, uh, this, this other band uh, recommended by a good uh, friend of the show, John White, is Truth and Janie. And they're also from Ames, Iowa. And uh, uh, they uh, did their work in the 70s. They eventually opened for Leslie West. And uh, they, they have a very, actually, a very taste-like, uh, Rory Gallagher-like vibe to them at times. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, I've just discovered those this week. Um, but to, to uh, and I also kind of just discovered the jam for the first time again and realizing how much, again, the, the Who had an influence on a band. And, and yeah not realizing how, how mod the jam was. Um, but my first uh, Power Trio experience was seeing Conan in, in like 1995 or something, 96, and the Reverend Horton Heat was on Conan, oh, nice. and they did Big Red Rocket of Love, and uh, and that's when I realized like what a Power Trio was and how you just had to go 100 miles an hour if you were, you know, the, uh, they did the rockabilly stuff, and so it's like, you know, you, you lean on your buddies in that situation. Actually, he literally leans on the bass player uh, as he as he uh, gets up and, and rocks from the top of the stand-up bass, which is a pretty awesome moment, uh, one of my favorite early moments in rock TV. Yeah. Um, but I think we're all ignoring the elephant of the room here, uh, and that was the, the biggest power trio, at least probably for our teenage years, and that's Government Mule. Right, that, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for sure, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Gosh, one of my favorites. Yeah, um, uh, whew, yeah, big sound, big, 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 big sound. I, I, uh, I still have uh, 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 ears ringing uh, as a result of those shows in Mississippi nights yeah, in the were, late eight, some, late nineties. Yeah, I, I was lucky enough to see him twice. I think you guys may have been there both times. I cannot remember. Oh, Probably. Mississippi nights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they yeah. were both at Mississippi nights, yeah. and uh, they were. They were uh, unstoppable, and um, I can't remember if it, they were a three-piece that night or not. But was it Marah Mara opened for them? They were still a three-piece. Mm-hmm. Alan Woody was yeah. still mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, dude. And so, dude, they, it was just like them, and then the mule, and it was just like ah, it was. It was yeah, right. Marah, uh, yeah, opened. Yeah. Dude, they blew our faces off. I had no idea who that band was. Yes, that yeah. that record. And it was like the perfect tour to see them too. Oh, you know I mean? We were like the, the only people that were listening to them yeah. as well. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. We were, it was like the perfect tour to see that band. It was like they were playing for us that night. Oh yeah. Like everybody else was just like you getting know, drinks, drink, chilling. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. right. I was. Yeah, I was like, these guys fucking are on it, man. Yeah, and then I, you yeah. know, I pick up the record and it's like, wow, 
when you first hear a band, you don't always recognize, you don't always, um, uh, you know, catch how lyrically talented they might be, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I get home and I hear the record. It's like, God, man, this guy's like, it's like a young Springsteen here, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then we found out, you know, produced by Steve Earle and stuff yeah, or whatever. Sure. And, uh, dude, yeah, they, they, they freaking rocked it that night. Um, you know, a band that, you know, Government Mule wouldn't have been around probably if hadn't this band been around. But we got to mention the Jimi Hendrix experience. Sure. And, and or the Band of Gypsies as well. Um, yeah. yeah. The, those guys, uh, you know. Third, third Stone from the Sun is the common, is the bridge there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's... Um, I, I, Jonathan had, had listed some in this this planning document that we use for the podcast. Um, and uh, I, I, I'm a little late to the party. I, I didn't start, you know, I for the Minneapolis bands, I think people gravitate towards the replacements first and they were more popular. But um, I, I really like Husker do a lot. Um, uh, you know, uh, that's, that's uh, one of the better punk power trios. Yeah. yeah I, it, and I'll admit recently, I, I didn't really get into the Minutemen at all until the last maybe year or so. Yeah. And dude, that, yeah. Good music and a great story. That, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the documentary for that band is excellent. Mm-hmm. It's good doc. Yeah. Yeah, and if you only have seven minutes to listen to an EP, then there's your band, because you can listen to six Minimit songs in seven minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. I, 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 um, I, I, for, I, I don't know if it's on one of their EPs or not, and I have to admit, I, um, well, it's not, it's not really that, that, that much material, but I, I, I don't know the Husker Du catalog. Uh, as well as probably I'm sure some of our other listeners do or people that are more well versed in uh, you know 80s punk rock than I am but um, the Husker Du does a really ripping cover of 8 Miles High if you ever get a chance oh, really? to I, think, I, I think I've heard that yes. it's awesome yeah yeah um, yeah, yeah great band on a related uh, note uh, the Minutemen does a version of Who'll Stop the Rain oh yeah. <laughs> somewhat related <laughs> uh, you know what guys I'll, uh, God, we could go on all night I'll throw out one more underrated power trio and this one even plays with fewer strings than most bands uh, if you, I know, that, I know who you're going to say hit. I you, know who you're going to say President of the United States of America Pusa, yeah, Pusa. It, it, that's, yeah, I mentioned the outfield deserving a second look give them another look dude, too yeah, dude, really? Dude, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I, I think they're just kind of written off people are like oh that's dude. that that's that quirkier band that was big when the Jim Blossoms were, you know? It's like, yeah, no, give them, give, them, give them a fair shake, please. Dude, yeah. Right. Dude, dude, even their hits are, are great songs, man. Oh, like, yeah. Kitty, man. I listen to Kitty all the time. Kitty? So all admit dude, it. Like Lump? Like, that's like two oh, yeah. and a half minutes of just, oh, oh yeah. awesome. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Dude, and the, just the the mood and the tone that peaches sets yeah absolutely like just those oh that opening and how they did all that little behind the scenes with presidents of the united states yeah. of america gave mention they didn't have all their guitar strings on their guitars and like uh, i can't remember what tuning they were tuned to but like it's really hard to try and recreate and like cover their songs kind of mm-hmm. because of that yeah like it was such a unique hmm. A unique way that those songs were cooked up. They do kick yeah, out. They're, they're they Seattle do kick guys, out the jams right? on that album. Uh, I think they do do that on one of those. Yeah, yeah it's on one like, of them, I yeah. think. Yeah. On the self-titled. The, the, yeah, the self the the second one. Yeah, is that the, is, is, or is it maybe the second one just called Two? It's it's pretty good as well. Their whole catalog's not bad. All right. Um, I'll, so I'll yeah, give yeah, give it another chance, man. All right. Yeah, you won't be disappointed. Um, There's gonna it's... be people that are mad if we don't mention like Motorhead and the Police as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. I, again, you know, we could we could go on all night. Yeah, yeah. This could you could get into like Ken Burns territory. <laughs> well, with power and then there, trios, like, right? the, well, and you know, there's little you know little subsections like. Technically, the Who was a power trio with a vocalist. Led Zeppelin was a power trio with a vocalist. This is true. Like, That's true. like yeah, there could yeah. there could be this whole subsection of like power trios who had a lead vocalist. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, what constitutes a power trio? Is it beyond the numbers, so to speak? <laughs> yeah. When, yeah. When three equals four. <laughs> Dude, if six was nine. <laughs> <laughs> 
guys, this is too heavy, man. <laughs> All right. Wait, did, did, have we mentioned Emerson, Lake, and Palmer? We don't want to get that hate mail, right? Oh, uh, yeah. God, yeah, especially we have to. Just God, because, you God, know. producing hey. two of them this yeah, year, too. Rest in peace. God. Yeah. Somebody, if, if you know Carl Palmer, please check on him right Lock now. Lock him right. in a suite at the Hilton for three next, more days. Next to the hospital. Next to Cedar sinai Exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. E- God, ELP. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, there's just so much ground to cover. Um, God, I want to stay up all night and listen to all these bands now, guys. Jeez. Maybe, maybe uh, we should put together a playlist, uh, at the very least on YouTube and, and post it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we will do that. And, and tell us your favorites. Um, you can, uh, do that on our Facebook page. You can like us there. Uh, also, you can follow us on Twitter at RockInChew. That's also the handle at Instagram, RockInChew, as in um, Nirvana. Uh, Nirvana. There you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, which, but in utero, Pat Smear was like a touring guitarist, right? This is true. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So I'll still they'd still considered a power. Trip. As in Nirvana's Nevermind. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Power trail. Um, so yeah, check us out at Rock and Chew on Instagram and Twitter. Go to Rock Chew, no end, rockchew.com uh, to hear every single episode we've ever recorded. Also, the biggest thing you could do for this podcast, if you do like it, is please like us on, um, uh, I'm sorry, give us a rating or a review on iTunes or, you know, if you if you listen via another podcasting service. Uh, you know, just, yeah, yeah, drop us, give us... Google Play, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, Google Play, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, however Spread you listen, the word. Stitcher, speak, yeah, speaker. Tell a friend. Yeah, tell a friend, please, because uh, we, we enjoy doing it, and we, we want to hear what you think. Uh, so, um, on that note, hope everybody has a great 2017. I know I know two, 2016 is one that we're not going to miss. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, uh, hope everybody has a, a great new year and, uh, we'll see you. We'll be right back here in action for 2017. So see y'all then have a good night. Peace. Yeah. This power trio signing off. That's right. And guys, we're a trio. That's right. Shit. We've been ignoring the real elephant in the room this whole time. <laughs>